This is episode number 835 with Bob Proctor. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Rumi said, the universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are. And Bob Proctor said, thoughts become things. If you see it in your mind, you will hold it in your hand. This is all about how to manifest abundance in your life. If this is your first time here, get ready because this one is going to blow you away. Bob Proctor is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, coach, and the chairman and co-founder of the Proctor Gallagher Institute. For more than 40 years, Bob has been one of the biggest names in prosperity and personal development, delivering talks around the world that motivate people to achieve success and prosperity. Through his work with the Proctor Gallagher Institute, he has transformed countless lives with his message of prosperity. And in 2006, he was a featured teacher in the hit film, The Secret, which explains the universal law of attraction and offers the knowledge on how to create intentionally and effortlessly a joyful life. And in this interview, we talk about why mentors are essential in life, no matter what experience level you have, the power of generosity and the impact it has on both giver and recipient, the six faculties that will improve the quality of your life. I loved hearing about these six faculties. I wrote them down instantly, and I think you should as well. How to eliminate problems by shifting your perception of them. The importance of understanding your conditioning in order to change it and get exactly what you want and so much more. We could have gone on for hours, but this one's going to be big. So if you're listening right now, make sure to share this with a friend. Just text one friend right now the link on the podcast app that you're listening to, or you can send them this direct link, lewishouse.com slash 835. I'm telling you, you can be a hero to someone's life today by just sending them a text with this link right now. All right, guys, big thank you to our sponsors today, and I'm so excited about this. So without further ado, let me bring to you the one and only Bob Proctor. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. We have the legendary Bob Proctor in the house. Good to see you, sir. Good to be here, Liz. Super glad that you're here. You've been uh, an inspiration to so many people since the 60s. Yeah. But really, I learned about you from The Secret, which I think a lot of people learned about you in the mainstream world. Mm -hmm. And we were just having a conversation off camera about how you almost missed being in The Secret. So I'm curious if you could tell that story, how you... Yeah, it was an interesting story. I had a message on my phone, but the message was very garbled. I didn't delete it. I hit pound and just this is the kept. this is the recording box voice message yeah recording and yeah I was in an airport and the message thing was full, so I phoned Gina. Gina Hayden's been my assistant. She'd been with me for thirty three years. Wow. Next week. Wow. Anyway, I said Gina, my phone's full. Help me clean it up. I was in an airport. And so uh, I said, I think this is a number. It sounds like an Aussie number. And I said, I think this is the person's name. 
uh, Glenda. It was Rhonda Byrne made the secret. Glenda was her sister. And she was doing the heavy lifting, I guess. So anyway, Gina, and I said, and they said something about a movie, but I said, oh, everything I'm telling you could be wrong. Well, she phoned me back in an hour, and she said, no, everything you were telling me is right. Huh. She said, there's a, a film crew in, they're doing this film from Australia, and they really wanted you in it, but they haven't been able to get a hold of you. And uh, I thought, well, they couldn't have been trying too hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they phoned my phone. They did have, they found the number. And, uh, but she said, they're going back to Australia next week. They've been trying for a month to reach you. And they're shooting in Aspen all weekend. And Gina says, isn't that strange? Bob's doing a seminar in Aspen this weekend. I hadn't been to Aspen for two or three years. Wow. And so I just walked next door. I was working in a hotel. I just walked next door and walked into a little room. It wasn't much bigger than this. And they had cameras and, of course, there was no air and, Sweaty, the lights are oh, hot. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, it, you wouldn't have believed the way that it was set up. And they had two cameras, one that was rolling and then one fixed. And uh, that's the story. So I answered a zillion questions for them. And they got a roll going, and I just started to talk. And they loved what I was saying because it was along what they were looking for. And so... Uh, I opened my computer and I put a page of PowerPoints up that would trigger my mind on different things. Mm -hmm. So they had me in there for a couple hours. And I never heard anything from them then. I think that was in the summer until the next spring or something. Really? And I got a CD by FedEx. Now, I get a lot of CDs sent to me. And I, I didn't they were back then. And uh, this is what, the 90s or 2000? Well, I don't know, it was the year before it came out. It came out yeah. in 2006 or something. Okay, so 2005. Uh, so yeah. it was, yeah. And I put it on my coffee table, and I said to my wife, you know, we've got to watch this thing. I didn't even know how to start the CD our own yeah, unit yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And um, so anyway, she put it on, and I looked, and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to rock. It was because I saw the trailer, and it was the trailer that sold the secret. Wow. And that thing just took off like a rocket. Yeah. You guys were everywhere for years. Yeah, yeah. And you were one of the main people that they focused on a lot. I feel like you're... You well, I was... I was... Uh, I think I probably studied their subject more than anybody. Right. And then they had me do a section. If you go into the CD, into the menu, there's a special, special Bob Proctor in there where they had me do about uh, 30 or 45 minutes I did it in my office on a green screen. I just started talking. I didn't stop. They never edited it. Wow. And they put that, so that's in there. That's it's a bonus. A, yeah. And I think that's online for, I don't know, two or three million viewers on it. Yeah. Wow. It's inspiring. Yeah. And yeah. You, but you it, was, had, it was a great, it was a great hit. Yeah. And you, you, but you already had a successful business. You were teaching, doing seminars, workshops. Well, I've been in the business since, uh, that was in 2006. I'd been in the business since 1968. <laughs> wow. You know. I started in 1968 with, with Nightingale Conant. Okay. Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. Wow. And you didn't even go to high school. You said you went two months to high school. I went to high school for two months, yeah. They kicked me out. <laughs> Why did they kick you out? Well, I was useless. I was just, I was, <laughs> I was going nowhere, doing nothing. I mean, I was a useless human being, really. I had, um, the word goal, I would think of a hockey game or a soccer game. It never it was not something a person would work toward. 
<laughs> I um, I had been in and out of the Navy and in and out of factories and wow. working in bars. I mean, I was going nowhere. And I was 26 when I woke up. But prior to that, nothing was happening. I think I'm very effective at what I do because I always figured if this worked for me, it would work for anybody. Mm. I was such a loser and my world changed so dramatically that I've never, I've never ceased to be fascinated with what happened to me. Mm. And I want it to happen to other people. And it can. Why do you think you were such a loser? Because I feel like we were brothers then. Well, I, well like... I, I was, <laughs> I've thought about that many times. Yeah. I was born during the Depression. Uh -huh. I've been around a long time. I'll be 85 next week. Wow. So I was born during the Depression. And uh, the war, the Second World War broke out. I was just five, six years old. Mm -hmm. My dad went overseas, so I never really knew my dad. I had a brother and sister, sister older and brother younger, so I was in the middle. Mm. And I had my grandmother sort of like buddied up with my brother, and my mother with my sister, and I felt like I was sort of <laughs> lost. You and know? your dad was gone. Yeah, well, there was no father. I mean, he'd come home after the war, and then he was gone again. So I didn't have any real direction mm. as a kid. And I, I was very thin. I was always underweight. I guess I had very low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about who I was. Nobody ever taught me anything about that. See, in those days, I mean, things were tough for everybody. You know, during the war and during the Depression, your parents, I guess my mother was happy just to be, be able to feed us and put a roof over Survive, her Survive, yeah. Yeah. Now, mind you, she was really a phenomenal woman because she did everything on her own and she made it happen. So my brother and sister and I talk about her. We always say, God bless mother, because she kept going, you know? Yeah. And so we look back, and I think we had good gene there. Wow. What was the biggest lesson your mom taught you? I think the biggest lesson she taught me was to be generous. She was, she was a great, she was a very generous person. I give a lot of money away. I give a lot. I give, I'm considered a very generous person. And I think I learned it from her. I remember we were kids, and there was a family on the street over from ours, I lived in the beaches area in Toronto. And in the winter, it was very cold, and we heated the house with coal. And they didn't have any coal, mm. so their house was cold. Right. And I told my mother about it, and I remember she sent me to the corner with a $20 bill. It's a lot of money. To then. get two tens. It was a hell of a lot of money. Right. And she gave me $10 to take to the other family to buy a ton of coal. Wow. She didn't even know them. And then stuck in my head, well, I'm still talking about it 65 years, 75 wow. years later, yeah. She was very generous, even yeah, when she had Yeah, and I think, I think that was something that she instilled in me. Mm. Probably in all my, my brother and sister as well, you know. Did she end up um, kind of making it or? or, or well, no, well, she did. I mean, she kept things going. Yeah. Um, she didn't really understand the rules for success or winning or anything. Mm -hmm. Hers was probably more survival. Yeah, of course. And she did that. So she did a, she did a great job with what she had, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What does the power of generosity do for the other person and do for you, the giver? Well, you know, Jane Wilhite puts it very well. She runs Sci Seminars in California. She says, you willingly give and graciously receive. Mm. Givers gain. Ooh. And so I think 
I think the giver enjoys more than the receiver. Always, right? Yeah. When you're in yeah. service to other people, yeah. when you're in service to a charity or, or yeah. people that maybe have less than you in the moment, it always feels amazing. Well, like our company builds schools in Africa. Yeah. And we built a lot of them. Yeah. We built Cynthia we've been Kersey. Do you know yeah. Cynthia Kersey? Uh-huh. You should interview her. She's okay. a fascinating woman. She, um, she builds the schools over there, her foundation. And I met her and I, I started to support what she does. In fact, my son's over there right now with his wife. Wow. Every summer, Cynthia takes a group over with her. And they, we built probably hundreds of schools over there. Yeah. But they give them everything, not just the schools, you know, nutritious yeah. food and, and hygiene. Yes, water yeah, the they mix the whole thing. There was a lot of schools being built, but they wouldn't last because there was nothing going with it. Yeah, and I'm convinced that six, giving is a is one of the basic rules of success. Mm. Why? Well, you know, Emerson said that cause and effect was the law of laws. Action and reaction are equal and opposite. So. <laughs> it's it's in harmony with the laws of the universe. And I believe this whole universe operates in a very orderly way. I'm very tuned into laws, the laws of the universe. And I think that's why, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in harmony with God's laws. Yeah. I see the laws as God's modus operandi. It's how everything happens. Yeah. Now you said, I think at 26 or 27, that's when you started to wake yeah. up or you started to have some type of awareness about yourself, the world, the universe, life. Mm-hmm. What happened when you started to wake oh, up? Oh, that's, I mean, it, it was dramatic what happened. <laughs> there was a, I was on the fire department in a suburb of Toronto, and there was a man near there who he became a friend of mine. He was a friend of a lot of people. I mean, I just was fortunate enough to meet him, Ray Stanford. He gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich, and he said, Bob, do you ever read anything? And I said, no, I can't read. Now, that wasn't true. I could. I found out I read about as well as most people. I think the average person reads at about a grade seven level. And they learn to read by the time grade grade seven, and then they never improve upon it from that point on. But he said, if you do exactly what I tell you and read this book every day, you can have anything you want. Well, I mean, I was unhappy, I was sick, I was broke, and you know, you can have anything you want. I thought it was nonsense. But he said something else. He said, listen, my way's working, yours isn't. (laughs) He was happy, healthy, and wealthy. The guy always had money on him. And big, healthy guy. And he said, you're unhappy, sick, and broke. So he said, I must know something you don't know. Why the hell don't you do what I tell you? Mm. Well, I think something clicked. Now, people had tried to reach me. I was 26 since I was a kid, and none of them ever did. And so I started to do what he suggested. And he said, what do you really want? Well, all I wanted was some money. I, I was earning $4,000 a year at the time, and I owed 6000 <laughs> I mean, if, I, if I had paid everything I earned for 18 months, I would have just broken even. Oh, wow. It was an impossible situation. And I was just looking at what was. I couldn't see beyond that. So that's what made it impossible. And he said, listen, write what you want on a card. Now, I got a gold card in my pocket. I've carried one ever since. He said, write what you want in the card. You have anything you want. So he said, what do you really want? And I said, I want some money. I figured if I had enough money, all my problems would go away. Everybody, I was getting the phone, where's the money? You know, they're always after the people I owed money to. So I wrote that I wanted to have $25,000. And now, if I had got together all the people I know or knew at that time 
and put all their money together, we wouldn't have come up with $25,000. Probably wouldn't come up with a thousand. I mean, it was an enormous amount of money. It was nuts. So I wrote that in the card. He said, you got to read it every day. And he keeps saying, did you read it? Did you read it? You know, so he got me reading it. And reading, I reading the book or reading the no, card? No, no, read the gold card. The card, read the gold $25,000. Just yeah. a gold card. Read the gold card. I'm so happy and grateful now that I have 25000 And I learned something very important from it. All I thought about prior to that was debt. Because people are always phoning me, when are you going to pay me? <clears throat> if you think about debt, you're going to be in debt forever. Yeah. You become what you think about. Well, this gold card got me thinking about earning money. I never thought of earning money before. I thought about debt all the time. And it got me thinking of earning money. So I started to hear people talking about earning money. And because I heard them talking about it, it got me thinking about it. And some guy said, there's good money cleaning floors. I said, I'm not proud of cleaning floors. I was prepared to do anything. I wanted to earn this money. I said, I wanted to earn yeah. money. So I started to clean one office. And by the end of the year, I was earning $14,500 a month. What? I was on the fire department. The chief was only earning 11500 a year. Wow. I was earning 14500 This was in a year from the start. I started to clean one office. It was Canada starts. I'd wash the floor twice a month, $15 a time. I got $30. Then I got another one, Kirby's Construction. I got 65 a month. Well, do you know, in less than five years, I was cleaning offices in Toronto, Montreal, Boston, Cleveland, Atlanta, London, England. I mean, think going like a rocket. And I was listening to Earl Nightingale's recordings. I was thinking, listening to, or reading, reading, thinking, grow rich. And every cleaner, I had them studying the same stuff I was studying. When none of us knew much about cleaning floors, we just did a good job, we cleaned. But if somebody asked me what I was doing, I'd say I was cleaning offices. It, it was almost incidental to what I was doing. I could have been selling siding for houses. Didn't matter. It was what I was studying, what I was doing with it. I was getting the other pe people to study it. Mm. And I was very irresponsible. I was earning all this money. I was earning well <laughs> over a million a year. I just, I was living in London. I'd go down to the Playboy Club on Park Lane, play roulette. I didn't even care if I lost, because I, and I hardly ever did. I almost always won. I just seemed to know where the money was. And one day I thought, this isn't very responsible. I don't know what the hell triggered it in my mind. Mm. And I thought, how did this happen? And I didn't know. I didn't know how in my life had changed so dramatically, but it had changed dramatically and in a short time. I'd been raised to believe if you're gonna earn a lot of money, you're gonna be really smart. Mm. I knew I wasn't very smart. Mm. And I was earning a lot of money, so I thought that's not true. I was raised to believe if you're gonna get a good job, you gotta to go to school. Well, I hadn't gone to school. I didn't have a good job. I owned the whole company. Right. So I thought, that's not true. So I started to wonder about all the things that I believed. Are they true? They're not true. And so then I had to know what happened, and I couldn't find out. It took me nine and a half years to figure out what I actually did. How you got to where you were. Yeah. yeah. You were talking prior to starting this about mentors. I believe they're essential in life. Mm -hmm. And as I look back, I have been fortunate enough to study with some absolutely brilliant people. I mean, giants. And uh, any success I've enjoyed is because hmm. I've had great direction. Wow. 
And starting with the first one, he says, do exactly what I tell you until you find out I'm lying or I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's sort of a rule I followed. When I pick a person that I'm going to choose as a mentor, I do exactly what they tell me hmm. until I find out they're lying or they don't know what they're, ta they're talking about. And they don't lie and they didn't know what they're talking about. So I've had great, great instruction in my life. And uh, it works. Wow. Who's the most memorable mentor for you? Well, Ray Stanford, first of all, but they're all very mem yeah, all very important. Ways. Uh, Earl Nightingale, huge. I started to study his recordings, and then I wanted to work with him. And I saw where he had distributors, and so I became a distributor. And hmm. I eventually, I left my business. I was prepared to pay them to let me work there. Hmm. I wanted to work with him because I knew if I could work with him, I could watch him, you know. And I'd see what he did, and I'd get to think what he's thinking. and Because he was a giant in my mind. I mean, Earl Nightingale and Lloyd Conant literally started personal development as we know it today yeah. in recorded fashion. And he started on this Strangest Secret record. So he was really huge. But I studied with Bill Gove, who was a great speaker, Bill mm -hmm. Vanderwell, um, Dr. Roder. I've had just phenomenal mentors. Yeah. Most of them, people, you wouldn't really recognize their names, sure. but they were giants at what they did. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember having big dreams as a kid? Or did you just always no. think you would amount to nothing? You no. were a loser? And... I never had any dreams when I was a kid. I think the area I grew up in, we were so poor, things were so rough. But you've got to remember, that was during the Great Depression in the 30s. I mean, there's not too many people alive that lived through that oh, yeah. anymore. And... We didn't have dreams. We just get by was the deal. Right. And when I started to read Think and Grow Rich, I was 26. That's when I started to really dream. Mm. And what do you think is the most powerful principle in the book? Obviously, there's a lot of them. For you, what's well, the thing that stood out? There's a number of them, but imagination is. And I had learned, see, I was studying many things at the same time. Our higher faculties School teaches nothing about them. You can, many seminars don't teach you much about them. We talk about you becoming what you think about, but there's, you've got to go further than that. Most people live through their senses because we're programmed to do that. Mm. Literally, we're, we're programmed genetically and then environmentally to go by what we hear, see, smell, taste, touch. But I have, an animal, I have a dog at home that can hear, see, smell, taste, touch. All animal life operates through senses. We've been created in God's image. We have these higher faculties. We are creative beings, mm -hmm. literally. We have perception, the will, reason, imagination, memory, and intuition. They're the faculties that make us separate from everything else. Like, all the other little creatures on the planet are completely at home in their environment. We're the only creature that's totally disoriented in our environment. Mm. And that's because we've been given the faculties to create our own environment. Right. But we've never been taught how to use them. Now, we teach that in our company. We teach how to develop your perception, the will. You change your perception, you change your life. Yeah. You know, And the will. When John Kennedy asked Dr. Warner Von Braun what it would take to build a rocket that would carry a person to the moon, bring him back safely to Earth, Von Braun said, he answered him in five words. He said, the will to do it. <laughs> now, many people would hear that and they don't really understand what he said the ability to hold that picture on the screen of your mind and nothing else, because the will is what gives you the ability to concentrate. Energy flows to and through you, through concentration, 
You increase the amplitude of vibration when the energy leaves you. That's how absentee healing's done through the will. Mm. A practitioner will hold the idea, and they'll have the subject relax, be very quiet. They transfer that thought right into the person's subjective mind. And so it affects the body. Yeah. Well, the will is very important. So we've got to understand these things, you know, intuition. I can walk by a person and like I could tell, as soon as I walked in the room, I knew exactly what you're like. You operate, you probably studied this, but you operate from almost evenly between the right and left hemisphere of your brain. You've uh-huh. got an interesting mix in your personality. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know that, but sure. you know, I could feel that. Um, you're almost an even balance between the two. And mm-hmm. you know, as I say that, I'm trying to figure out more one than the <laughs> other, and I don't think you are. Well, your intuition will do that because mm-hmm. your intuition is a mental faculty that picks up vibration and translates it in your mind. It's through intuition that you get answers to your questions. Mm. Like you asked a question, the opposite side of question is an answer. It's the equal and opposite side. So our answer comes with our question, but we're not tuned in to, to pick it up. Like every question is an answer. Mm-hmm. Well, the imagination, of course, it's, it's everything. Yeah. So you get these higher faculties and you get using them, and I start to learn how to use these. And I started to see that we've got so much going for us that we never hear about. School doesn't teach us. Our parents don't teach us. You go to work for a company, they don't teach you. So the odds of learning it are really slim, you know. And it's the reason there's so few people that really are successful in life. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of material around in success. My goodness, there's there's more around today than there's ever been. Yeah. Self-help books are top of the bestsellers list. A crushing, yeah. You know? In, in 1968, when I started, 61, when I first started to study this, you had Norman Vincent Peale's Power of Positive Thinking, you know, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Carnegie. It was a few books, you know, Think and Grow Rich, rich but yeah. there weren't that many. Today, there's Thousands of them. Yeah. People need it because they don't know how to use the tools that we have. But they don't know how to use the information that's in the books. Right. How do we? (laughs) So what what are these five faculties again? You said? Yeah, perception. Yeah. Intuition. The will. Reason. Reason. Yeah. Imagination. There's six. And memory. Like everybody has a perfect memory, it's just weak. <laughs> I worked with Harry Lorraine, who's probably had the best trained memory in the world. And I asked him one time, he said, Harry, how long do you remember something? He says, still don't want to forget it. Hmm. We had a man, uh, Abdullah, over from Saudi Arabia for a, in a matrix seminar that we conduct. And uh, he was teaching, he was a psychiatrist, he was teaching people to memorize the Quran. Uh, Jerry Lucas great basketball player, he was teaching people in San Fran to memorize the Bible. Mm. We have a perfect memory. It's just weak. We never develop it. Right. But we grow up, oh, I've got a, such a bad memory. Well, there's no such thing as a bad the memory. The more you say it, the more you're going to convince yourself that it's weak. That's yeah. Exactly, yeah. Which uh, faculty of the six was the uh, the hardest for you to tap into? And, and well, they're, they're, all, they're all difficult to tap into because... We're programmed not to use them. Why is that? Because there's only one problem in the whole world, and that's ignorance. We didn't know we had them. Mm. See, people talk about perception, but they don't see it as a mental faculty. It's just a word. 
Mm-hmm. If I have a challenge, if something I'm really struggling with, I've learned how I'll take and I'll write it out on a piece of paper as clear as I can, as if I was going to give it to you and then you'll understand the same as I understand the problem. I'll put it in the middle of a table and I'll sit and look at it. And I'll keep asking, now, is that problem in me or is it on the paper? Is it in me? And I'll work until I get it on the paper, get it out of myself. For example, what do you mean, like a problem that you might... Well, anything that I'm, I'm trying to figure out maybe uh, how to improve a particular seminar I'm just not happy with. Now, yeah, I've been yeah. doing it for a long time, you know? So you'd write uh, down... Yeah, write down the problem any is the problem seminar. you've got. I don't care what the problem is. Uh-huh. Maybe you're short of money. You don't have enough money. Right. Write that down. Right. You're short of money for a purpose. You were wanting to buy a building or something. So you look, at the, you look at the paper and then you ask yourself, is the problem in me or is it on the paper? And you work until you get it on the paper. Get it out of yourself. Mm. So you can look at it objectively like a stranger would. And then go and sit on the other side of the table. And I may say, now, <laughs> you know, how would Lewis Howes look at this? Yeah. How would he handle this? Mm. I may go sit at the end of the table and literally move physically and say, how would Earl Nightingale handle this? Mm. How would he see this? I mean, say, how would Napoleon Hill go somewhere else? The person doesn't have to be alive. They could be dead. Their energy's not dead. It's yeah. always here. And what you're doing is shifting your perception. As you change your perception, you eliminate the problem. Mm. The answer's there. But you've got to get in harmony with it. So any one of them, you take any one of them, the will, like we were talking, the will. If somebody's standing behind you, behind you, let's say in a mall, mm-hmm. and they're staring at you, you feel them staring at you, don't you? Yeah. Why? Feeling is constant is conscious awareness of vibration. And when a person's staring, they're concentrating, they're sending such a powerful charge of energy at your brain that you start to feel it. You turn around, sure as hell, there's somebody there staring at you. Concentration increases amplitude of vibration. There's a power flowing to and through us all the time. It never stops. Mm-hmm. You can photograph the energy leaving the body. Well, concentration increases. It makes it more powerful. So whatever you concentrate on, you're giving more energy to. Emerson said the only thing that can grow is the thing you give energy to. Mm-hmm. So as you start to learn how to utilize these higher faculties, you start to learn how to improve the quality of your life and you start to see why you're God's highest form of creation. Like, I don't see God as a man on a cloud. Right. Just gonna answer my questions for me. <laughs> you know, as I, the great author one time said, God will feed every bird, but he's not gonna put food in their nest. Mm-hmm. You gotta do it. Mm-hmm. God's not gonna do it for us. We gotta do it. Yeah. And so, we've got these higher faculties, we've gotta learn how to utilize them. Which one was the hardest for you to learn how to utilize, and which one do you think is the hardest for the majority of people? Intuition. Was for you and everyone no, else? No, not for me. Intuition because, uh, for everyone no, else. Yeah, because I made up my mind I was gonna study that one. I saw a guy that was very intuitive and I wanted to be like that. <laughs> and I thought it was, I would have said when I first saw it, he was psychic. Well, the truth is he was psychic, but we're all psychic. Yeah. Psyche is just Greek word for mind. And so I was fascinated with what he did. He could just look at you and read the situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to learn how to do that. Yeah. So I, I made up my mind I was going to study it. And in a seminar, if I'm teaching this, the one thing everybody wants to know, how do you develop your intuition? 
Because you can get, intuition is a feeling that you pick up. Intuition reads feeling. Feeling is conscious awareness of vibration. So you're reading vibration. Vibration is the natural law of the universe. That your body vibrates. You're a vibration by high speed of vibration. Well, you've got to take your mind off yourself if you're going to read the other mm. person's energy. You got to focus on the other person. You can't be insecure when you're trying to be intuitive. Oh no! You can't be doubting yourself. Uh -uh. You can't be lacking something. You have to give all of your attention to the person you're working with. Yeah. And of course, that's a secret for speaking too. Mm -hmm. Most people don't do that. We're we're more concerned. What's he think of me? Does he? Mm -hmm. Does she like me? And you know, is my tie straight? Is this? What am I going to say next? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What am I going to say? Am I going to say the right thing? Am I? You know. You gotta take your mind off yourself totally and put it on the other person. And you gotta be relaxed. Mm. You gotta get very relaxed and you'll Breathe. tune well, you'll tune into their energy. Mm -hmm. You start to feel it. Like if you're with somebody and you say, God, they were interesting, why were they interesting? Because they were interested. You know, if you wanna be loving, be lovable. If you wanna be loved, be lovable. If you wanna yeah. have friends, be friendly. The most interesting person in the in the room is the most interested person in the room. Exactly. That's what I always learned. That's the truth. One of the things I used to be, <clears throat> I love everything you're saying. I get so excited. That's why I'm passionate about this because I was telling you beforehand that I was terrified to speak in front of a few people, in front of an audience of three, five, ten. It was terrifying. The idea of being in front of a hundred or a thousand people was like I'd rather, you know, curl up in a ball when I was uh, 18, 22, those ages. And I remember someone telling me, I heard that somewhere, the most interesting person in the room is the most interested I said, that takes all the pressure off of me. I don't have to say anything interesting. I don't have to be like this funny, charismatic. You just have to be interested. Just listen yeah. and ask interesting questions or ask a thoughtful, genuine question. It doesn't have to be smart. Just See, most people, they don't even remember the person's name. Yeah. Why? Because they're not interested in their name. They're too focused on themselves. What does the person think of me? If you're really interested, you're going to remember the person's name. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned there, there's a good story that about public speaking. I had studied this stuff for a long time, <laughs> and I had used it. I knew it worked. I didn't wonder if it worked. I knew it worked. Yeah, yeah. And all I wanted to do was teach it to other people. It took me nine and a half years to figure out why I changed. And when I learned, all I wanted to do was teach it to other people. But I was afraid, I was very shy, very self Insecure, yeah. Very insecure, but I had all this knowledge. I was earning a lot of money. In there, I did well. Outside of there, forget it. And on one of Earl Nightingale's tapes, on the recording, called The Magic Word on Attitude, it's a fun, are you familiar with it? Huh. Oh, let's check it out. You've got it, check it. <laughs> I will get an original copy and send it to you. Oh, please you. do. Got it, you've got it. I'll listen to you. I will send it. Well, he said, now right, there's an on attitude. He said, now right here we come to a rather strange fact. We tend to minimize the things we can do, the goals we can accomplish, and for some equally strange reason, we think other people can accomplish things that we cannot. You just want to realize that you have deep reservoirs of talent and ability within you. Now, mm. if you had asked me, do you understand that, I'd say, of course I understood. I've listened to it a thousand times, at least. Well, I was in the back corner of the room at the O'Hare Hyatt. Bill Gove was speaking to a thousand people. I was in the back corner of the room. And I was watching him. 
Bill Gove was the Frank Sinatra speakers, hmm. one of the best speakers in the world. And I watched him. He came off, there was a thousand people, there were about 500 bank here, 500 here, and then, and then there was a central aisle. He got to this corner, he had a handheld mic, and he had his hand up. And he said, if I want to be free, I've got to be me. Hmm. Not to me I think you think I should be. Not to me I think my wife thinks I should be. Not to me I think my kids think I should be. If I want to be free, I've got to be. And I was watching him and I think, my God, this guy's so good. If only I could do that. All of a sudden, that record of Earl started to play in my head. Now, right here, we come to a rather strange fact. We tend to minimize the things we can do, the goals we can accomplish. And I thought, damn, that's what Earl means. And I suddenly realized, and I had been listening to this thing for years, if Gove could do it, I could do it. Mm. And I made up my mind, I was going to learn how to speak like he did, and I was going to get him to teach me. Wow. And so he became a mentor of mine. I paid him a lot of money uh, just to sit down and talk to him for a few minutes a number of times. Now, I speak nothing like Bill Gould. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm nothing like him. He speaks totally different than me. Mm -hmm. Although I'll speak to thousands of people at the same time. What he taught me was to be relaxed in front of the audience. That was a big lesson. Mm -hmm. If you're not relaxed in front of an audience, the audience will know it. How do you relax in front of an audience when you're terrified? You've got to think of the audience. You've got to think of how you're going to, what you're helping, how you're going to teach them something. Uh, another mentor of mine a couple of years ago told me very something similar because I was, I'd been training in Toastmasters and had coaches and had overcome a lot of my fears of speaking in front of big crowds and you know, I got pretty good. I was getting paid, you know, big fees and things like that. But I was still nervous a little bit before and felt a little insecure. And I remember calling him about 15 minutes before being like, can you give me some grounding? Can you give some coaching? Mm -hmm. And he said, don't make it about you. Make it about them. You're going to mess up. Be okay with it. You're not going to remember every word you want to say. Mm -hmm. Don't beat yourself up. Focus on them and how you can serve. Don't focus on yourself. And that's when everything started to shift. Just like you said, when yeah. you focus on service to the audience. you got to fall in love with helping that audience. Helping, giving, uh, doing whatever you can to serve, you stop worrying about everything the way you look. It's the same thing when you're having an interaction with a group of people and you're just listening and you're not worried about what people think about you. You're just being interested in them. you got to have a very confident feeling in what, about what you're doing. You know? How I, do people build that confidence if they don't have it? Well, you build confidence by learning, don't you? I mean, that's the only way you get confidence. Yeah. I went to a, a nightclub in London, England, back in the 60s, the talk of the town. It was the largest supper club in the world. Mm. And the show they had was the Wild, Wild, the Wild West, Wild, Wild West. And it was like a Vegas show. And they'd bring in, that show may run for two or three years, and they'd bring in the stars to work it. And I went one night, and I had a seat right by the stage. There was a thousand, they, they'd set a thousand people down to dinner mm -hmm. in the talk wow. of the town. It's not open anymore. Wayne Newton was the star. Wow. Wayne Newton was a kid. He was 20, maybe 21. His brother was playing with him, playing guitar in a little group of his. He walked out on that stage, bang, just like that. He owned that place. 
I never forgot that. That guy was so confident. And he had that audience in the palm of his hand right away. Whenever I go to speak, I will find a place, if I'm speaking to a group, they go in the kitchen, sit down. I've learned if you're dressed, they'll think you own the place. They'll just leave you alone. <laughs> and I'll sit down there, and I'll, I see Wayne Newton walking mm. on that stage as a kid. I thought, that's what you got to do. You got to really fall in love with the idea of helping the audience, and you own the place. You won't, and you're going to be, and deliver. And anytime you see a star come out, they own the place when they walk out. But they fall in love with helping you. Mm -hmm. Something else, it sounds like you've mastered the power of alter ego. For me, as an athlete, I used to be scared to perform, uh, to play in front of uh, big games. And I used to tap into Jerry Rice because I was a wide receiver and Jerry sure. Rice was, you know, the best. And so I was just like mimicking him. I was like, how would Jerry Rice do this? How, you know, how did he carry his body, his chest? How did he walk on the field, his swagger, his confidence? And I just acted like I was Jerry Rice. I became him mm -hmm. when I stepped on the field and it helped overcome the insecurities of the nerves sure. by just embodying the energy of Jerry Rice. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've been doing that. I do that in Wait. different ways yeah. with different people. Yeah, in uh, different scenarios, right? Yeah, like in years ago, I started to realize the real power of self-image, mm. um, studying Maltz's work. And I will... Um, and I've taught this to many people, I will build an image, different parts of my personality. I will see someone that I really, something they do that I really admire, the way they do it. And I will adopt that. Now, I've got this, I, I've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. And if you were to watch me going from one place to another, I never walk fast, never. When I was a kid, this stuck in my mind. There was another kid, Donnie Miller, lived down the street from us. Mm. Now, this was during the Second World War, so there were no fathers at home. They were all always shooting at each other. And, but his dad was home. His, wasn't, his dad wasn't well. His dad had had a heart attack, so nobody went around his house because his dad was sick. They'd come around the other houses. But some, the doctor must have told his dad to walk. His dad was always dressed, suit, shirt, tie. And I'd watch him walk up and down the street. I'd see him every now and then he'd walk up and down the street. And he had this real relaxed walk about him. And when I was building a self-image, a picture of his dad hmm. stuck in my mind. And so I sort of mimicked his walk. Wow. But I've done different things. Like, I used to watch Earl Nightingale record. And when I first went to work for him, he had a recording studio. It'd be like this where there was a window. My office, I could look in when he was recording. And one day I realized he's talking to that damn microphone. Right. He would have the microphone. He was the, and I thought, that microphone's a person to him. Mm -hmm. And you create all great broadcasters, they just talk to one person. They, they don't say the you person. people or yeah. you folks or talk to you. But they would be talking, and I realized he's talking to the microphone. So in a recording, I talked to one person. A microphone. If I'm with an audience, I talk to one person. Mm -hmm. These are just little lessons that I picked up to get better at what I was doing. I remember if a person's negative in an audience, real negative, there could be 500 people in that audience. That one person's energy is so strong. 
Stands out, yeah. And there was a woman that I met, Beverly Lynch, years and years ago when I was at Nightingale, uh, Conant, and I asked her one time, I said, she was the speaker. I said, Beverly, what are you doing? There's a negative person in the audience. She smiled, and she says, you talk to the light, not the dark. I thought, wow. <laughs> so obvious, why did I miss that? So if I'm talking on there's a negative or a few negative, I just take one person that's super positive, and it doesn't matter where I'm looking, that's the person I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to that person. So you focus on the positive people. Ah, always. Always. Yeah. You won't try to put your attention on the no, no. person and try to get no. them to be happy mm-hmm. and smile. You just If you just keep putting the positive, if they just open their mind for a minute, you're in. Yeah. You got to get the, the information into their subconscious mind. Yeah. You know. You mentioned, I think one of the faculties you said was the most challenging is imagination. Is that one of the most challenging for people? It's not the most challenging. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's something we really want to gain an understanding of because most people use their imagination. They use it the wrong way. They imagine what won't work. They imagine something uh, bad happening. What should we imagine more often every day? We should imagine you should see yourself where you want to be. Mm-hmm. you got to live there. There's a great book. You may be familiar with Stella Adler's book, The Art of Acting. Oh, gosh, you've got to get it. Stella Adler was a great acting teacher. She was a method acting teacher. Uh-huh. She, did, she studied under Stanislavski, the, the Russian acting teacher that originated method acting. Okay. Marlon Brando wrote the foreword in her book. He was the first method actor to reach superstardom. Okay. And he wrote the foreword in her book. Now, Stella Adler never actually wrote a book. A man named uh, Kissel took all of her teaching, all of her lessons for teaching, and he, she put them into, or he put them into a book. So when you read her book, you're going to her acting classes. Mm-hmm. And like Shakespeare said, we're all actors. You know, the world's the stage, and that's true. Well, when you reach a goal, you're going to act like you're already there. It's already happened intellectually the second you think about it. It's already happened emotionally when you're emotionally involved with it. So it's only a period of time until it manifests in physical form. Right. But because it's not in physical form, we act like we haven't got it yet. Yeah. Well, so that's why most people stay stuck, because they're acting like they haven't got it yet. Or if I can't act like that, Lewis would see that I haven't got that result, he'll he'll think I'm phony. I gotta quit worrying about what Lewis thinks and start concentrating on what Bob thinks. You see yourself, your imagination, you gotta be that person. Goethe said that, great philosopher, he said, before you can do something, you first must be something. Mm. So you've gotta be it intellectually, you've gotta be it emotionally. As Sake Solomon says, as a person thinks in their heart, the emotional mind. Well, it's only a period of time then until it manifests physically. That's one of the first laws of the universe is the perpetual transmutation of energy. Energy is moving into form, always. Mm. To form, moving into form, through form, back into form again. So we cause it all to happen the way we think and the way we stay locked into ideas. How should people be developing their imagination on a daily basis in a positive way? Well, I think they should take time to image what they want. I have a business partner, Sandy Gallagher, who is a brilliant woman, and she rides horses, uh, gated horses. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's in Kentucky right now in big term, or shows there. Mm-hmm. She images herself as a world champion. Every day, 
she takes the time and she sees herself as a world champion. She sees herself getting the roses, getting the whole thing. And that's the way you should do it. I think you build the image of what you want. I mean, you obviously image this studio yeah. Yeah. before you ever built it. Right. I mean, everything you see here was part of the image in your mind. But everything you create, you create twice. Once in here, once out here, mm. you know? So you never get an original painting. Mm. You always get a duplicate. <laughs> the picture's in here. Wow. So we have to see ourselves with what we want here. Now we've got enormous deterrent in our paradigm. We're conditioned genetically and environmentally. And that conditioning is controlling most people's lives. That's why brilliant people are broke. Brilliant people are unhappy. Brilliant people never really accomplish very much. They're absolutely brilliant, but their paradigm is controlling them. Mm. It's all about intellect. They're smart people. But like, you got to consider where we come from. A little particle of energy from mom, a little particle of energy from dad comes swimming along. That's the nucleus of us. Then that goes on for 280 days, attracting more energy until you make your debut on the planet. And then you're programmed environmentally by your environment. So everything that's going on is going right into your subconscious mind. So you come out, you're programmed genetically. We, go, we don't know how far it goes back, four or five generations possibly. Like when I was a young man, I had red hair. Mm. My mother didn't have red hair. My dad didn't have red hair. I got a brother and sister and they don't have red hair. Because you think, well, <laughs> but my mother's father and all his brothers had red hair. Mm. So sometimes it jumps a generation. That's why we look like our relatives. It's genetic conditioning. And then there's environmental conditioning. We know almost all welfare recipients are fourth, fifth generation welfare recipients. So this is passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, we're all, or fortunately, we're all exactly the same we got exactly the same potential. Our spiritual DNA is perfect. But that perfection never expresses itself properly because of this paradigm is conditioning in our subconscious mind. You see so many brilliant people and they don't make it. I had a good friend of mine, Milt Campbell. He won the gold medal in decathlon. Wow, I was a decathlete. Were you aware? I was an all-American decathlete. Well, yeah. Milt won in, in uh, Melbourne in 56. Wow, okay. And he won in, uh, in 52 in Helsinki when wow. uh, Bob Mathias won his second gold. He won the gold in 48 and then in 52. Wow. Milt told me, if he told me once, he told me a thousand times. Every time I was with him. You know, there was a lot of athletes in schools that were better than me, but they quit. Yeah. Well, our paradigms get us to quit things. Why? Because the programming. You're programmed. You have to ask yourself, why don't they do that? I went, I, I did a lot of work with the Prudential of America. In fact, I got stuck in the insurance companies for a number of years. I was so <laughs> effective at what I was doing. And we raised their sales by, one VP said over a billion dollars. Mm. And all I was doing, getting them to change their paradigm. I was having them change the way they worked. A paradigm, a culture is a paradigm. Every country has a culture. Mm -hmm. Every family has a culture. Every company has a culture. 
Well, in the insurance industry years ago, they had what they called debit agents. They went around collecting the money. And there would be a little book like the one you're working with that would have a record in there. I remember we had a, a book on top of our icebox was right near our back door. Mr. Spensley was the insurance man. When I was a little kid, he'd come in, and there was a little book and a little box with some money, and there's always just pennies. Nice. And he would collect the debit, mark the book, and he'd be on his way. Mm-hmm. And that's how the insurance business operated. They were called debit agents. Wow. Well, then as time moved along, people started to sign a little shit of cheap shit of paper or something, and they would automatically draw it out of your bank account. Yeah. But the agents didn't change. Mm-hmm. The agents would just go and sell at night when mom and dad were both there, because you couldn't sell mom if dad wasn't there. You couldn't sell dad if mom wasn't there. This was a programming. So here we are in the 70s. Agents are still going to their office every morning, and they wouldn't go out and sell anybody, because you sell at night. Mm. They collected their debit through the day. There was no debit to collect. This had been for years they were still doing this. And I'd, and I'd asked them, I'd say, why do you go to your office? Well, you have to go to the office. And they'd be there, and I'd say, why do you have to go to your office? Well, because we have to go to the office. They didn't know why they had to reason, go. Yeah. Then they'd go to lunch, they'd go with another agent. I said, did you ever sell another agent any insurance? No. And I said, what the hell are you going at lunch with them for? I got them to do this. I said, you got to be like this. you got to be skin to skin with the person before 9 a.m., and you have to ask every person to buy at least $100,000 worth of insurance. You don't even have to sell them. Just ask them to buy. Well, I got them doing that. They were selling more $100,000 policies in a week than they previously sold in a year in almost every office. Wow. You see, that's conditioning. That's paradigm. That's the way they were working. They had been doing it for years. Nobody ever thought to change it largest insurance company in the world. And the uh, head office was trying to figure out what I was doing because wherever I went, sales went crazy. I was showing them how to change paradigm. Your paradigm is your conditioned behavior. How do we know when we need to change our own paradigm? You always need to change your own paradigm. How often are you changing yours? I'm working on it right now, every day. Really? Yeah, I work on it every day. But you should only try and change one or two things at a time. Don't try to change everything at once. Well, you can tell what your paradigm is. Just study your own behavior. Mm-hmm. Think of your results. You want to improve your results, don't you? Sure. You probably want to earn more money. Sure. You probably want this show to be bigger than it is. Sure, yeah. How are you going to do that? You got to change the paradigm. That's right. You got to change your habitual way of dealing with these mm-hmm. things. So you take a look at the results and say, what do I want to change? It's the results are an expression of the paradigm, not the intellect. See, the conscious mind is where all our intellectual information is. You know how to do better than you're doing. You know how to do better than you're doing. I know how to do better than that. Why aren't we doing it? The subconscious is programmed. It's your conscious mind where the intellect is, and that's where our knowing is. Person knows, but they're not doing what they know. They say, why do you do that? I don't know. Well, you know better. I know. Why are you doing it? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I know. It's their paradigm controls their behavior. Yeah. So you take a look at your results and you say, what's causing that? So you've got to take back your behavior pattern. Why are you doing that? Because you're programmed to do it. Mm-hmm. Right now, the last time we did a, um, a paradigm shift seminar in Los Angeles was a number of three or four months ago. We gave everybody a ring binder. It's a damn thing's about that thick. 
And on every page, every page is the same. At the top of the page, you write 10 things you're grateful for. Uh -huh. And then there's a statement that you write. I am so happy and grateful now that I know my uh, spiritual DNA is perfect. And that perfection is within me. Every morning, I look for ways to improve my paradigm. I have to write that with my left hand. I'm right-handed. I'm on my 41st day today. Writing left-handed? Writing left-handed. Why? It's changing the paradigm. I could be just as proficient with my left hand as I am with my right, but I've got to change my paradigm. I'm programmed. Now, when I'm writing, when you're writing, you just write. You don't think. You just hit. That's why graphical analysts can tell a lot about your personality through your handwriting. Yeah. Sloppy well, handwriting. If you're don't writing with your left hand and you're right-handed or your non-dominant hand, you've got, to, you've got to consciously pay attention to every stroke, every move your hand's making. And the second you stop, it looks like it was Chinese art that you had drawn. <laughs> right. But I know through repetition, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. It'll probably take me a year. Wow. But I'm learning how strong the paradigm is and how strong, how hard it is to change it. So a year from now, I'll probably be as proficient with one hand as I am with the other. But and I'll stick to it. Wow. What's the thing you want to change the most within yourself to get to the next level of results that you're um, for? I want to be more effective in selling on a larger scale. So not one-to-one -one or one-to-few, but one-to-mass? Yeah, like I have a sales staff. We've got a pretty mature company. We've got about 70 employees in our company. Wow. So we've got about 10 sales, 20 salespeople. Say 10, we have 20. I want to have a larger sales force. I want to create more leads for them because I think what we do is so important. We literally change people's lives. And I'll work until I die. I have no intention to ever retire. I think it's a despicable idea even. So I'm forever. Now, I worked on an idea last night on the plane. And it's sort of similar. Maybe it was because I was, you know, I was coming in here. Maybe that triggered this. Because mm -hmm. we've been trying to come in here for over a wow. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody keeps telling me, you know. And dates and, change and everything else. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. We, we just wasn't, we weren't able to be here until today. Anyway. I'm on the plane and I'm thinking, how can I get more people? I have a studio in Toronto. If you're ever in Toronto, you'll have to come and I see it. I want to see it, yeah. We have a beautiful studio. It's a, it's a, like a, tel it is a television station. I had a couple of people from a TV station in one day and I said, sort of like a television. They said, no, Bob, it is a television. <laughs> I can run four cameras simultaneously. Young Scott there, he could, uh, he could operate the cameras from right in here on his computer. Mm -hmm. I can stream all over the world. It's 50 feet from my house. Wow. And uh, we can stream all over the world from there. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to do, it would be like a webinar, but it won't be a webinar. Like a live cast. It'll be a live cast, yeah. Wow. And it'll stream. And I'm really going to teach the people something. I'll use, I won't, I'll use maybe two or three PowerPoints. I'll use a PowerPoint just as a trigger to get the thing going, get them focused on something. And then I'll open it for questions and I'll have chats. Because people learn something on chats. They listen and say, damn, I didn't see that. Yeah. You know, and so, the, so we'll have a chat on it. And I'll start doing that right away. Now i got people working on it. Wow. And I'm calling it Studio 333. There's a story in a book I wrote, 333. And we say we 333 an idea. You only think of how you can. You can't think of why you can't. Um, we say the guy raised three million, three hours, three days later in a radio station in Toronto through an idea we taught him. Wow. So we call it 333 idea. 
So I've called this, we had them at 333.com, studio333.com. That's cool. So that's the way it'll come out. And we'll stream it all over the world. And I'll be teaching this information, uh, not in an organized way, but in a, probably in a disorganized way, based on the people we're talking to. Because mm -hmm. they ask questions, that's, that's tell me what they want to learn. Rather than me saying, this is what you should learn. I want to find out what you want to learn. You know? mm -hmm. So that's, cool. that's something that I'm building now. Yeah. I want to make it big. That's great. Do you feel like you'll ever get close to reaching your potential? No, I know damn well I won't. It's, um, it's not do I think, I know, neither will you. I think that's the ultimate aim of man. We are created in God's image. Now everybody's got a different image of that, but we're capable of doing anything. We have infinite potential. Our spiritual DNA is perfect, so there's perfection within us. And spirit's always for expansion and fuller expression, never for disintegration. The disintegration we bring about. So spirit's always for expansion and fuller expression. We're spiritual beings. So that perfection is trying to express itself through us. We stop it. Mm. It's when we get tuned in and we let it come out. But we could part the seas. We can do anything. We are all powerful. All the power, all the knowledge is 100% evenly present in all places at the same time. So that's within you, within me. There's no limit to what we can do. That's really what I teach. Yeah. I teach it, I'll break it down into small bites for a person. Yeah. What's the closest we can get to our potential, do you think? What's possible? Well, the closest you'll get to your potential is where you are right now. Yeah. And then you've got to take and you've got to expand it. You want to do better at what you're doing. Like, you got a great reputation on this show. I think you know that. Yeah. But there's all kinds of people who've never heard of it. Of course. Lots so, of people. Yeah. I want the world to hear it. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, there you go. You want the world to, well, how will you do that? There's your opportunity to develop more. Your, how will yeah. you do that? Yeah. How can you get more millions? Yeah. You know? You got to use my imagination. You do. You, that's where you're going to start. Imagination, will. Yeah. Tuition, everything. Yeah. So you got to learn how to utilize those, mm -hmm. how to develop them. Mm -hmm. So you work at it every day. I mean, you're in a, many people would say you're in an enviable position. I, I think I am too, because you're talking to people who know quite a bit about whatever they're doing. So you're going to learn all the time. The you're, in, you're in school every day. The greatest you go to work, game. you're in school. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Very grateful. T Tiffany, you're getting an education she's, probably. You couldn't. She's been here for what, three years now? Three and a half years. Oh, wow. and she's grown tremendously just She's listening to everyone. Our marketing director, you would love to meet her. She is Mikey Steller. She was Mikey Euler. She got married since she's joined us, had two children too. She was a, a, a nanny when she started to work with us. Now she's our chief operating officer and our marketing director. Wow. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She had never, never really went to school, but she came in and she just, It'd be something like you. I mean, you're getting exposed to great information all the time. Yeah. And Tiffany, you got the same potential as I got. You look different, you sound different, but we're exactly the same. Mm. You see? I teach that in a seminar. I'll say, like, if I asked you, you'd probably tell me you're black. If I asked somebody else, they'd probably tell me you're black. The truth is you're not. And they tell me I'm white. The truth is I'm not. 
My shirt is white. If you ever saw a white person, you'd probably scream <laughs> and run. My God, they're white. I don't know if I've ever seen a black person. Why do they say, we don't see with our eyes, we see through our eyes. We've been programmed to see black. Mm. And you're not black. You see, I think your shirt's black, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty black. Yeah, yeah. you're not the color of the shirt. Yeah. So why do we say Tiffany's black and Bob's white? Because we're programmed to see that. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're seeing something that isn't there, when we look at another person, how many other times do we look at saying, see something that's not there? That's where our perception has to be shifted. Yeah. yeah. We're all exactly the same. Now, you're not too tall, you're a different shade, and you're a different gender. So you say, well, you're nothing like Bob. You're exactly like Bob. It just doesn't appear that way, but the truth is very rarely in the appearance of things. Mm-hmm. There's so much we can learn. And school's not teaching us. School's not doing the job. What's the thing you feel like you haven't learned yet? 85 years old right now, is that what you said? 80? I'll be 85 next next Friday. Wow. A week Friday, yeah. Very young. Happy mm-hmm. early birthday. Yeah. There you go. So what's the thing you feel like you still haven't learned? Oh, well, like everything I'm teaching, I only know a bit of it. Oh. You know, and I don't know all there is to know about our higher faculties. Mm-hmm. I don't know all there is to know about perception or the will or reason. There's so much I don't know of what I'm doing. So I study every day. I want to get, I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to go to somebody that knows more, you know? Yeah. I study a lot of time at Thomas Troward's work. He's a wonderful author. He, he wrote the Edinburgh Lectures in Mental Science, the Dory Lecture in Mental Science, The Law and the Word, Bible Mystery, Bible Meaning. He was a great author. You know? And there's a woman, Genevieve Biran, she wrote, your invisible power. Mm-hmm. She was Troward's only student. She went and studied with him from 1912 to 1914. And she, um, it cost her $20,000. That must have been an enormous amount of money back then. But she was his only student. And she, um, she wrote a book, Your Invisible Power. It's a great book. Your Invisible Power? Your Invisible Power. Okay. I will send you a copy. Yeah, I will send do. you a copy. It's a great book. What's your top three recommended books for people of all levels? Well, I'm, that's not one of them, but I will. That is. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it should be. Think and Grow is, Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. As Man Thinketh by James Allen. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Such a great book. Yep. And You Squared by Price Pritchett. You Squared. Yeah. It's a little book. Hmm. You familiar with it? Not sure. You squared. Oh, you'd be sure if you if you knew it. If you'd read it, you'd be sure. It's a great book. Okay. Absolutely. There's 35 pages. Every page is better than the last page. Wow. There's every page is dealing with a new subject. Hmm. And they're mind-boggling. I gotta get that one too. I will. I'll send you that, and I'll send, send your you top favorites. I'll send you <laughs> the uh, Invisible Power. Uh, I want to talk about money for a top uh, for a moment because you mentioned how. You were making four thousand something yeah. dollars a year. Your expenses were six thousand, I think, something yeah. like that. And then you started making four. No, my expenses run six thousand. I owed six. You owed six thousand. I owed everybody that I knew. And you were making around fourteen thousand dollars a year after that. Shortly after no, that, no, I went from earning four thousand dollars a year to fourteen thousand five hundred dollars a month. Exactly. Now, if you annualize that. I was 175 a year. So I went from earning 4,000 a year to 175. I hadn't earned 175 that year. I got it up to 14,500 a month. So if you annualize it, it, that's that's a change. Phenomenal change. Is it possible, 
for anyone to go from poverty level to extremely Absolutely. financially successful. Absolutely. I think earning money is one of the simplest things I ever learned. And it's one of the most misunderstood things. Wealthy people historically have always had multiple sources of income. They don't have one. They have many. I was cleaning floors. I thought the answer was work harder. Because mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to earn some money. Yeah, of course. And I thought it was all important. Today, my attitude towards money has changed dramatically. But I thought the answer was get another office to clean. Well, I was working so hard, I passed out on the street. I would have been maybe 27, 28. I literally passed out on the street. I was working so hard. I came to, and there's a great big cop looking at me. I was laying there, it was scary. There was a group of people around me. I saw lights flashing. Then I saw a, guy, a couple of guys in uniform with a stretcher, and it was scary. I had passed out. I guess they thought I had dropped dead. I had a heck of a time getting away from them, but I did get away. They didn't take me to the hospital. I talked them out of it. <clears throat> I got away and I got thinking, I'm not doing this right. Mm -hmm. Working harder, working more hours is not the way. No. Yeah. In fact, Napoleon Hill wrote that in Think and Grow Rich. He said, if you are one of those people who believe that hard work and honesty alone will bring riches, perish the thought, it is not true. Riches, when they come in huge quantities, never come as a result of hard work. They come if they come at all in response to definite demands based upon the application of definite principles and not by chance or luck. So you've got to find a demand and fill it, but you've got to follow princi definite principles to do it. Wow. In other words, it's got to be in harmony with the law. You've got to give more than you get. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get, forget it. Yeah. Well, I got by myself and I thought, I'm doing something wrong. I was earning more money. But here I'm passionate, it's not, this is not normal. And it's like a little voice in my head said, if you can't clean all of them, don't clean any of them. So I got all dressed up. People now accuse me of sleeping in my suit. I got, I wouldn't take a suit off. I didn't matter where I was. Because <laughs> I knew the cleaners were tired and I would go around, I got other people cleaning offices. Mm -hmm. And I knew pretty well where they'd be. So I'd drop around, I'd bring coffee and donuts. And, I would drop in and I would talk to them about goals. And then I'd go to the next person. But I always was dressed up because I knew how tired you get. And if I was in working clothes, they'd expect me to help them so they could finish and go home. Interesting. But when I had shiny shoes and a suit and shirt and tie, they didn't expect me to help them clean. So I'd go on to the next place and then the next place. And that's when I started to open offices. Mm. I went from Toronto to Montreal to Boston to Cleveland to Atlanta to London, England. And you hired cleaners. Aha, uh -huh. everywhere I went. Yeah. Yeah, I had people cleaning. What should someone think about if they're struggling financially right now or they feel like they're, they've been struggling for many years and it feels like they're just surviving week after week, month after month. They're not sure how to get to that kind of sense of freedom for at least a six-month runway or beyond. What should they start thinking about? Do you know what you've just described? I believe the majority of people are living that way. Yeah. The majority. Now, that's rather sad, but I think yeah. it's true. And it's because we only have one problem in the whole world, and that's ignorance. They're living in ignorance. They don't know that what they're doing is going to keep them where they are. And they keep doing it because they don't know how to change. They're overwhelmed with the debt. People are saying, I need the money. They haven't got it. 
They want to take their family on a vacation. They don't have the money to go. So they may borrow it and go anyway. Now they got more debt. They have to understand that they don't have to live that way. Mm. I wrote a book called You're Born Rich. The truth is you are. Most people are just a little short of money. But you are born rich, rich in potential. Anybody can go to our site, go to bobproctor.com. You can download the book, You Were Born Rich, free. It won't cost you a cent. Mm-hmm. And chapter two is how much is enough. There's a, it's described very well how to get out of debt. You got to create a debt repayment program where it's all done automatically. Mm-hmm. And then you focus on prosperity. You've got to have a financial goal. You've got to work toward it. And you've got to understand that you can earn more than you're earning. And wealthy people don't have one source of income. They have more than one. I was earning money all last night while I was sleeping. Yeah. You can actually earn more money when you're sleeping than you can spend when you're awake. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like a cute line, but it's true. There's no end to what we can earn. If you are not getting information from someone who is already wealthy, then you're probably getting information from the wrong people. Most people ask their brother-in-law, or the guy next door, or the girl they know, how do I earn more? Hell, if they knew, they'd be earning it. They don't know. And most people talk to people that don't know. Carlyle put it very well. He said he did not believe in the collective wisdom of individual ignorance. Mm. And that's where most people are getting it, from people that don't know any more than themselves. I think you have to go. That's why these seminars are so important today. People have the opportunity to go and learn. Most people won't pay to go. I tell people, listen, you invest in this, it'll probably be, borrow the money to do it. It's probably the last time you'll ever have to borrow money. Yeah. Our seminars are not raw, raw. It's not nothing. Our seminars teach people about Mm themselves. It's like when Bill Gove said, if I want to be free, I got to be me. I'm thinking, I better know who me is. I didn't know who me was. I was doing a lot of things. I was doing them right, and I was earning money, but I didn't know who I was. I started to study me. Mm. And the more I know me, the better I know you. You only have to study yourself. You'll know what everybody, because we're all the same. Yeah. It's our behavior that's different, our results that are different. I heard a friend of mine, Dean Graziosi, I don't know if he coined this or someone else said it, and he said it from someone else, but he said, those that pay, pay attention. And when you invest in yourself, you're paying attention. To you know, I never heard that before, but that is the truth. Those that pay, pay attention. But if you don't pay for it, you're not going to pay as much attention. If you pay more, you'll pay more attention to learn. I had an aunt and uncle who were as poor as church mice. I mean, they just didn't have anything. <laughs> and they had a whole house full of kids. And I used to drop by their house periodically. I was doing very well. And I was teaching seminar. And I remember it was around Christmas time. And he was rushing around trying to get credit cards from some big stores so they could buy presents for the kids. Yeah. And I said, you know something? He said, never mind, next year will be different. I said, you know something? Next year is going to be exactly the same as it is this year because you never change you. Wow. I said, you should get into the seminars and learn something. I know something you don't know. Well, they came to the seminar. He got paid every two weeks. So that meant three times a year, I think, he'd get paid three times, maybe four times a year, he'd get paid three times in a month. That one pay was extra because they were budgeted for two pays. I made them pay to come to it. Something said I made them pay. And I think they thought I should have clumped them into it. 
But you know, Mark thanked me, my aunt, I don't know how many times that I charged them. She said, we wouldn't have kept coming. I didn't even know what you were talking about. I was running seminars, it was seven evenings from seven to 10, running over a series of nights years ago. And she said, I wouldn't have kept coming. But she said, because we paid, I came. Of course. He's right. If they pay, they pay attention. That is so true. And if they don't, they not gonna be a, you're not going to care. When you hear something you don't like, eh, this is not for me. That's Let me right. get out of here. Mm-hmm. Eh, I got something better to do. Yeah. Especially in LA, eh, I want to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. This is too hard work. Yeah. It's confronting my ego. Eh, I don't need this. I'm firmly convinced if a person doesn't understand a paradigm, a paradigm is, an, is nothing but a multitude of habits. They're programmed into your subconscious mind to control your behavior. It's got nothing to do with how smart you are. It's got nothing to do with what your formal education is. It's got nothing to do with which side of the tracks you come from. Mm-hmm. It has to do with your paradigm. The paradigm is a program in your subconscious mind. It's both genetic and environmental that's controlling your behavior. Everyone that can hear my voice knows how to do better than they're doing. And they may wonder, why don't I do it? It's because you're programmed to do what you're doing. And until you change the program, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Paradigm has to be changed. I love that. What would you say are the, if you could share three key habits for people that if they want to continue to grow every day, be more prosperous, be more abundant, happier, joyful, healthier in their life, what are three key things, habits, every day, not talking about morning routine, but just overall habits every single day, what should people be focusing on consistently? They should study every day. Study. They should have a mentor. Someone that has already accomplished what they dream about. They might not even know the person. They could get introduced to them and ask them, what are half a dozen things I should do every day? Ask them. They know. Mm -hmm. Most people are getting advice from people who don't know any more than themselves. Yeah. And the third one, you've definitely got to have a goal. And when you write it, you've already got it intellectually. So you operate intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Well, your intellectual mind, the second you say, second you decide on it, you've got it. It tells you in the Bible, before you speak, I'll hear you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because the thought always precedes the word. Mm-hmm. The second you get emotionally involved, you've got it emotionally. Yep. So you've got it intellectually, you've got it emotionally. It's only a period of time until you've got it physically. Mm. Be do have, yeah. That's right. But the have comes in a period of time. So it's, every, not, it's not overnight? <laughs> every seed has a gestation or an incubation period. Yeah. When a woman gets pregnant with a child, it takes 280 days. Yeah. The husband doesn't come home a month later and say, come on, where is it? Right. He waits, as James right. Allen said, as one who understands. Mm. He understands there's a gestation period. Where I come from, if you plant a seed for a carrot, it takes approximately 70 days for it to manifest. Mm. All physical seeds have a gestation or an incubation period. We know that now, but we didn't always know that. We weren't always aware. No one knows what the gestation period is for a spiritual seed, and an idea is a spiritual seed. Mm -hmm. But we do know that it operates by the same laws. And the laws of the universe are precise. They can be studied. They can be understood. We operate by law. Our life is governed by laws. Like we know it's going to get dark tonight. We don't wonder if it is. Yeah. 
You know when the tide goes out, it's coming back. Winter never follows winter. We know these things. That's all an expression of law. Mm-hmm. Well, when we bring our life into harmony with the laws, we're going to enjoy more of life. Yeah. If we fight it, we're going to lose. Yeah. You know? This is amazing. What is something that uh, you are proud of that most people don't know about you? Uh, I don't really know. I spend all my time thinking about how to teach this, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm proud of our company. Yeah. I'm proud of the people I work with. Proud of my family. Mm. I just love what I do. I just love it so much. I think it's such a shame when people don't study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's your first habit, yeah. Well, there's so much about us that we don't know. And we can do anything. Life is pretty special, you it's know. It's amazing. Oh, really? Yes. It's incredible. Um, yeah. Do you have any fears? Oh, I have lots of fears, yeah. I mean, you fear anything you don't know, but you don't let them control you. Yeah. Someone said that courageous people aren't, don't have any fears. Eddie Rickenbacker said there's no courage without fear. Mm-hmm. You, courage gets you to face the thing you fear. So I have, yeah, I have fears. To do any time I go to do anything that I've never done, I'll be afraid, but I won't, that doesn't stop me. Yeah. In fact, I call that hitting a terror barrier, you know. A terror barrier. A terror barrier. That's, you got to, like, you get a new idea. Let's suppose a person's got an idea, they're going to quit their job and start their own company. That's an exciting idea. They're intellectually involved with it, that's all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can play with that all they want. In their mind. Nothing's yeah. ever going to happen because it's just intellectually. They take the idea and they get emotionally involved with it. Mm. Now all hell breaks loose. Yeah. They hit the terror barrier. Ooh. I start to feel the fear. Aha. And if you don't go through the terror barrier, where do you go? You're right back into safety. Bondage. And that's where most people live because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to do it. They don't know where the money's going to come from. They don't know where the help's going to come from. It's... I, like, I heard one time a thing when Tamaharaji was going to take TM to the world. One of his advisors said, well, where's all the money going to come from? He says, wherever it is right now. Wow. <laughs> I love that because that's where the money's going to come from. So when people hit this fear because they haven't got the money, they don't know how, they want to realize the way is already here. If nothing's created or destroyed, if all the power is 100% evenly present in all places at the same time, everything we've got is, we've got it right here. It's right here. We just don't understand it. So you hit this terror barrier. If you don't go through it, you're toast. Yeah. So. You always stay in your comfort zone. You'll never be able to fly. Yeah. So if something doesn't scare me, I know I'm not growing. It's something, you know, as an athlete, or did you play sports growing up at all? Not a lot, no. Some recreational stuff, yeah. As an athlete, I was in pain almost every single day. We would, our coaches would push us to a sure. a limit that we didn't want to go to. Yeah. They wouldn't hurt us, you know, where we'd be broken bones, but it was painful. I'd much rather be laying on the couch, <laughs> playing video games or whatever it is, having fun. But that pain threshold, you know, breaking through that pain barrier and discomfort always made me feel a little more confident in myself. Like, wow, I was able to do that. I didn't think I could push that far, but 
Now I can do a little more tomorrow. And doing that every day over years is conditioning me to want pain every single day in a healthy see, way. That's where the coach played an integral role. Yeah, huge. The coach is the mentor, you know. And that's what they pay. I think if you have the right coaching for a period of time, then you said, now. If, it's in me. You see, it's part of you it's now. Well, that's where it is. It's part of me. Like, fear would never stop me. In fact, if it doesn't scare me, I know I'm probably not going in the right direction. Yeah. You know. Should we face a terror barrier every day? Is it too much to do it every day? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Is it helpful if we're looking for things that scare us every day? Well, yeah, you should be going that way, yeah. you know? And you'll realize after you go through it, you step through fear into, into safety. But you've got to understand, too, what you're doing is you're taking, you're getting emotionally involved with an idea. Yeah. You're changing the paradigm. Mm. Now, even when you go through the terror barrier, the fear doesn't leave yeah. <laughs> because the paradigm hasn't changed. It takes a period of time for the form the new paradigm. Mm -hmm. So the fear is going to be there for a while. Until you feel like, oh, this is my new comfort zone. That's right. I've broken through this. Now this is the new norm. I feel comfortable. I refer to it as X. X. I said, you know, X, X, X. And the Y is the new idea. Mm -hmm. And the Y doesn't mix with the X. You get mm -hmm. the Y intellectually, the X is the conditioning. And the Y won't mix with the X. So that sets up a foreign vibration, which we call fear. Well, when you break through the terror barrier and you finally eliminate the fear, the Y becomes the new X. <laughs> and then it's Y, 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 Y. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it becomes the new X and the conditioning's still there. It's just on a higher level. Oh. Yeah. What are thoughts that we should be thinking every day? You give us habits, learn, study, have a mentor, have a goal, or multiple goals. But what are the ideas should we, we should be saying to ourselves internally and externally? Well, I think you have an affirmation, a positive statement from yourself you give to yourself, and that has something to do with your goal. That's how you change the paradigm. The paradigm can only be changed one of two ways. One is an emotional impact which doesn't happen often. And the other- What's is, an example for that? What's a- well, An example for that would be 9-11. Yeah, yeah. Now, 9-11 wasn't an emotional impact for me. It probably wasn't for you. But for people that lived right near there or lost somebody there, that was an emotional impact. Mm -hmm. Just something that hits you so hard. Yeah. It just knocks you off your pins. Emotional impact. And repetition, constant-based repetition. See, so you, you take this affirmation of thing I want to change, and you've got to keep repeating it to yourself. You've got to keep seeing it through the repetition of it. Pretty soon it becomes fixed in your mind. Then the thing you're afraid of becomes a habit. You just automatically do it. Yeah. Like there's things you do automatically today that you don't even give a thought to. Yeah. But at one time you're afraid to do it. Sure. So that's, I think that's how you keep changing. Thought is a very powerful, thought is the preamble to everything. Thought waves are cosmic waves. They penetrate all time and space. I had a good fortune of working with Ed Mitchell. He was the captain of the lunar landing, landing module on one of the Apollo flights. Mm. And he did thought transference exercises from the other side of the moon. Wow. With uh, Sherman and Ford here on Earth. They're all gone now. But you're doing thought transference exercises all the time. And we just have not got to a point where we really understand that. If I dial your number, I'm on your frequency. Mm-hmm. I will never get Tiffany's phone to ring. Right. I only get your phone to ring. If I take a picture of Tiffany and I send it to a friend of mine in Singapore, simultaneously with me hitting send here in Los Angeles, they've got it in Singapore. You know that. Yeah. Well, thought works the same way. 
I could be thinking of you, I'll trigger cells in your brain. And your cells, if you're not thinking, those cells will start jiggling and you'll start thinking of me. Mm. And maybe I'll phone you and say, this is the damnest thing, I was just thinking of you. Yeah, happens all the time. <laughs> well, we gotta understand what's happening. You think on frequencies. Now this has to do with goals. When you set a goal, you have to flip your brain onto the frequency that the good that you desire or that you need for that goal is there. Uh-huh. So you, 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 most people don't make the decision because they don't know how to get it. You don't have to know how to get it. That's why Von Braun said when Kennedy asked him how to get to the moon, the will to do it. You're gonna make the decision. You don't make the decision when you've got enough money or when you've got all the resources. You make the decision. When you make the decision, you flip your brain onto a higher frequency, and then you're on the frequency, you begin to attract everything on that frequency. That's where the law of attraction comes in. See, the secret brought out the law of attraction, but it didn't explain it. None of them explained it. I didn't even explain it. I didn't get the time. Most people don't even understand it. You can only attract according to the frequency that you're operating on. Attraction is a secondary law. The primary law is the law of vibration. That's a, that's a primary law of the universe. Everything in this room is moving. Nothing rests. This table's moving. It just appears to be still. The law of vibration decrees, everything moves, nothing rests. Well, when you think, you put you onto a frequency. You can only attract what's on that frequency. Mm -hmm. You think about a person a lot, just concentrate on that person will phone you, or you'll bump into them on the street. Because you- you, You're thinking about it, yeah. yeah. The law of attraction takes over. You can attract to you what you're in harmony with. Well, when you set goals, you gotta see yourself already there. That's called a mindset. A lot of people talk about mindset, they don't understand what it is. They set their mind on the frequency mm. that they have to be in to attract what they have to attract. And that's how the goal moves into form. You get emotionally involved, you're, you're so intellectually and emotionally involved. The only problem is you don't have it on the physical plane yet, but it will manifest in time. Mm. We just don't know what the time is. So you're guessing at the time you reach your goal. I love this stuff. Okay. <laughs> I love this. I live for it every day. I can day. listen to this all day with you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask a few final questions. This is a question I ask everyone at the end. It's called the three truths. So I want to imagine that you get to pick the last day on this physical earth for you. At some point, you got to go. And it could be 100 years, 300 years. It could be tomorrow. Whatever it is you want it to be, you get to pick the day. Imagine you've created everything you want to create or close to it and you, you feel grateful for it all, you've done everything you wanna do, you've had the life, the relationships, but for whatever reason, you gotta take it all with you. Everything you've created, it's gotta go with you when you leave. However, you get to write down on a piece of paper three things you know to be true that you would leave behind for the world, three lessons that you would leave behind, and this is all people would have to be remembered by you or your messages. I call it the three truths. What would you say are yours? That's an interesting question. Uh, live in the now. Mm -hmm. If this was my last day and I was doing what I wanted to do, I'd be right here doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing what I want to do. So I think you have to do the thing you want to do. You've got to be. See, if you ask a person two questions, where are you and what time is, they're always going to give you the same answer. I'm here as now. That's where we should live. Everything else is an illusion. There's no such thing as time. That's an illusion. 
something we use for our physical benefit, but we're not physical beings, we're spiritual beings. Mm. So I'm here, it's now. Live in the now. Be grateful. Wallace Waddles in The Science of Getting Rich said, gratitude, on the first page of his, it's chapter seven, I'll never forget when I read this. The entire process of mental adjustment and atonement can be summed up in one word, gratitude. So it doesn't matter how disturbed you are, it doesn't matter what's bothering you. You can solve whatever it is. You can be forgiven for whatever it is through gratitude. Just sit, what are you grateful for? Mm. And number three is give. Simple. See, in, in all the programs, we run a number of different programs, and that's what it's all about. That's what our company is about. In this business that I'm in, I think you go one of two ways. You try and, for self-aggrandizement, you want to be a bigger star. I've never wanted to be a star. I never wanted to be a speaker. I don't see myself as a speaker. I want to teach more people. So I'm teaching people to teach people. We operate in over 100 countries now. Um, we have representatives in wow. over 100 countries. We will stream this seminar. We'll, last time we streamed into 115 countries. That's really what I think this is all about. It's not about me. It's really about you. And so if we can get into the habit of helping the other person just understand themselves a little bit better, enjoy a little bit more of life, I think we're on the right track. Yeah. So I think your three questions, that's a good, that's a damn good question. You know, live in the now. Be grateful. You know, be re like, that's the first thing I do in the morning. Yeah, me too. I write down what I'm grateful for. We teach people to do it. Where I really started to do that, I have a wonderful <clears throat> business partner in Sandy Gallagher. She was a, um, a securities attorney and a very bright one. She, I mean, she was damn good. She'd buy banks, sell banks, turn banks, public, worked in community banks, but a lot of money. And uh, she came to a seminar around the time the secret came out. Mm. And I kept hitting people, what do you really want? And although she had been very successful, she graduated as the top banking lawyer in every university in the United States. She was number one. She studied in Europe, in England. And... Uh, she had never thought of what she really wanted. Her dad was a banking lawyer. She sort of followed suit. She'd be a damn good person for you to interview mm -hmm. sometime. Larry, Larry King interviewed her one time. Um, she's, she's really a bright gal. And financially, she lives in a different frequency altogether. She's very, very bright. But we were doing a seminar in Phoenix, and I was leaving town, and she was staying. She was doing work. And she said, could you get together with me for a cup of coffee? She had some personal problems. I said, sure. So we sat down in a coffee shop, and she said, could you give me three things I should do to mm -hmm. solve her personal problems? I said, sure, I can. I didn't know what the hell I was going to tell her. But, you know. <laughs> so I took, like, you know how they have these napkins and yeah. the little holders? I took one. I said, here, write down ten things you're grateful for. Uh -huh. And when you get that done, I want you to um, send love to three people that are bothering you. Wow. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. Somebody really upset so you. So challenging. I send love to three people that are bothering you. And uh, share it with somebody. She had a pad, just something like yours. 
And I phoned Jane. Jane was telling my assistant, I said, Jane, could you get a pad made? And I told her what I wanted. And I said, she, she made up a pad. She had it where, to her within an hour. She went to Kinko's or someplace in her computer, and she had this pad with her name on it. And she was going to uh, Hawaii the next day with her mother and sister. And so she took a pad for her mother and sister. And the three of them every morning, they thought this was really dumb. Sit down every morning and write down 10 things you're grateful for. The whole three of them, their lives changed. Well, it had such an impact on her, her mother and sister, we started to do it. We do it in every seminar now. Yeah. And she, she, she's the one that teaches if she does in the seminar, and she's almost always in it. And she tells the story about me doing that with her, and now she does it with everybody. Wow. And so and then on this pad we pulled out, there's 10 things on the top, and then I have to write with my left hand every day. <laughs> I've been doing that for a year. That's a very powerful thing to do. Yeah. You know? Gratitude is everything. It's the antidote to all stress, anger, frustration. It is. The entire process of mental adjustment. There it yeah. is. That's it. Stress, and it doesn't matter what your problem is. You change your perception, you change your life, like you said. Yeah. And it might only be for a minute, but that minute changes your whole world. Changes your vibration to yeah. attract more of what you want That's also. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Bob, because you've been doing this for a long time. You've been doing this before I was even born, or, you know, 20 years before I was born. The fact that you continue to show up with the same focus, intensity, generosity, a day in and day out, on your seminars, which I hope everyone listening goes to. They can go to bobproctor.com and learn more about everything there. But you continue to show up and serve and give, and I think it's very, it's very inspiring for me and so many people to witness as a, as a mentor and a role model to so many people that the more success you have, you continue to give. And the more you continue to learn, you continue to share. And I want to continue to be that example like you have been living for so long. So I'm really grateful for you. I'm really, I really acknowledge you for your gifts, your wisdom, and your humility in your sharing. Not just acting like you have all the answers, but constantly learning and constantly sharing. So I acknowledge you for, for everything. Well, I, really I really appreciate, appreciate that, Louis. I, listen, I've really enjoyed being here. Yeah. But I love this so much. It's great, yeah. I, know, I mean, I would... Um, I always feel deprived when there's some reason I can't do this, you know, <laughs> because I just love doing it. Yeah. I love it when I yeah. wake up in the morning. And it's like I mentioned right when we first started, I knew when I could change, like I'm happy, healthy, and wealthy today. I travel all over the world. I got wonderful friends all over the world. And I thought when, when a guy that was losing the way I was can start winning, mm -hmm. anybody can. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't care. I've gone into prisons with this, mm -hmm. gone into sec maximum security in, in Canada. And I had them let a guy out that was, the warden considered him a mad dog. They put him on special parole. I got the Canadian government to tear up his, his, um, his parole and give him a passport to move to England with me. Mm. I mean, I've seen situations that you wouldn't believe could happen. I've seen them happen. You talk about miracles. I mean, they're, they're happening every day. Right. So I knew when I could win, anybody can win. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting the right information from the right people. Mm. I think we get too much information from the wrong people. Yeah. And personal development today is such a well-known thing mm -hmm. that for anybody not to be developing themselves personally 
is it's rather sad, I think. Yeah. You know? So we have to help them as all we can. Like, I don't think a person deliberately destroys himself. I think they're misguided. Yeah. They're ignorant. They don't know. They don't know how to shift. They don't know, and they don't know they don't know. Yeah. They're, they're lost. Yeah. And so I believe if we do know it's our responsibility to help them. You know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, you share a lot of information on your website, bobproctor.com. You've got all the information for your books. You do conferences all over the world, seminars. You're doing one here in L.A., all the time, it seems like. You've got them all over the place. So people can find you at bobproctor.com. We're around. Social media. <laughs> do you hang out on Instagram or Twitter or anything yourself or your team does? Uh, the team do. I prefer I stay on <laughs> But I make a lot of YouTube, a lot okay. of videos for YouTube. I shoot them in the studio and right. show them up there. Bob Proctor on YouTube, every, yeah. everywhere else. Yeah. Find your name. They can go get it. Seminars, books, everything that you've got going on. The final question for you is, what is your definition of greatness? That is a good question. Um, I think greatness is something you work toward. I don't know as you become it. I think if you think you're you're great, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's something you work toward. I think it's an enviable place that you go after, you know, Uh, because you're bringing out the best of yourself. There's greatness within every one of us. There's no question about that. In every person, there's greatness. I think it's the essence of who we are. I don't know as you ever get there. I'm always going there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I want to get there. I'd like to become great at what I do. I think I'm pretty good at it, but there's people that are better and there's people that know more. I want to learn from them. Yeah, that's awesome. Bob, appreciate you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this interview with the iconic, legendary Bob Proctor, who's been inspiring millions of people for 40 years now. Loved my time with him. Just such a genuine, present, connected, giving individual. And I really hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, make sure to let me know over on Instagram, at Lewis Howes. Just shoot me a a message, DM me, tag me over there. Uh, Take a screenshot of this and share it with your following on your Instagram story and tag me and, and Bob over there and let us know that you're you're listening and that you're connected to this message. If you want to be a champion and you want to be a giver to someone in your life today, all you need to do is text one friend. Just text one friend who you think this might be helpful for. And you can be a hero and a champion in their life today. They're going to thank you for this. They're going to learn a lot. So send them the link, lewishouse.com slash 835 or you can just copy and paste the link on the podcast app if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Send them this link right now and text them and say, hey, I thought you might enjoy this interview with Bob Proctor on the School of Greatness. You're going to be a hero when you pay it forward and spread the message of greatness to someone else. Also share it on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. If you've got a WhatsApp group message going on with friends, put it in that group. And uh, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. So let me know what you think again over on Instagram at Lewis Howes. Again, thank you guys so much for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. The best way you can give back to me is to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I don't care if you leave a one-star review, a five-star review. I just want to hear your thoughts on what you enjoyed about this. 
Tell me how I can improve it and make it better for you and be of service to you at a greater level moving forward. My whole mission is to serve you at the highest level. And it doesn't matter if you think, again, one star, five star, just connect over there. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you as we like to share those with our team. We'd like to share that with our audience. And it's going to help us spread the message of greatness even more. So if this is your first time here, go subscribe over on Apple Podcast. Again, leave a review. And to bring it back to the beginning, full circle, Rumi said the universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are. And Bob Proctor said, thoughts become things. If you see it in your mind, you will hold it in your hand. I love you so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.